0: The kids are uh, released. The first through sixth grade follow Jane. Uh, Preschool and kindergarten can go to this room right over here. And then, of course, the middle school and high school can follow Jim out as well. All right. And you guys turn to Nehemiah chapter 8. All right. So. Just a little over a couple of weeks ago, on Wednesday, February 8th, a handful of students remained in the chapel of Hughes Auditorium at Asbury University in Wilmore, Kentucky, following a regularly scheduled chapel service. And apparently, one, uh, apparently after a fellow student decided to confess some personal sins in that small group, it, it said the atmosphere changed. And for some unexplicable reason, the chapel service did not end. It just kept going and going, and more and more people kept coming. It's estimated that over 100,000 people now have gone through that chapel service, and more people are still coming. It's still going on, okay? Today, that's still happening. And, uh, And so, it looks like an army of young believers have risen up just to claim that Jesus Christ is their real lord and savior and they're serious about following their lives and and uh, and it's not a new phenomenon the churchy ter- the churchy term for it is a revival it's kind of a you know something's going on that doesn't fit our normal way of thinking about things and it's happened many times throughout the history of the church unfortunately the term revival has got some bad press because of all the TV evangelists and revival preachers who make it into a kind of a bizarre thing, and it's weird. And so sometimes we get the wrong idea of what, you know, revival is. You know, comedians make fun of it on Comedy Channel and that kind of thing. But in a genuine biblical revival, it's where the Spirit of God sweeps through an entire community, okay? And it causes deep spiritual change at the grassroots level, just causing this renewed belief and conviction that God is God and, and people are just drawn to him. And, and it happens. It happens all the time. What's interesting is it looks like it's happening here in Nehemiah chapter 8. Okay? It's not the first time. This is probably one of the earlier. Actually, there was another earlier one, Days of Samuel, but here we see it here happening. And, uh, and this whole series has been about renovating our lives. Really, a renovation is about a revival. And it can happen with the whole community, but I want you to understand a revival can happen at the personal level too. In fact, I think a community revival begins with, a, with some or just a few people having a personal revival in their lives, and that ignites in the people around them who God has been preparing like kindling and then all of a sudden the fire erupts and it just goes everywhere. And it happens. It happens all the time. And it'd be cool if it happened here, but we're not in charge of that. All I can pay attention to is, how's my life renovation going? What's God doing in my life? Is there a revival, personal personal renovation in my life? So I thought it'd be good to close this series because this is the last message. I'm just looking at some key characteristics of what it looks like when you are having a personal revival in your life, or what it looks like in a community as well, okay? So let's look at Nehemiah. This this uh, first passage actually starts in chapter 7. I don't know why they did it this way, but the last phrase in chapter 7 begins chapter 8 as well. And this is what is said. When the seventh month came and the Israelites had settled in their towns, All the people assembled as one man in the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. The first indicator that a genuine renovation is taking place is a hunger for God. I mean, these people just came together in this one location and, you know, they, they didn't have to do a Facebook post. They didn't have to market it. They didn't have to, you know, do a text message to everybody. The people just showed up. It'd be like you guys just showing up and saying, we want you to preach to us. Tell us what the word of God says, read it to us. Like that would happen. Well, it could. So Ezra's just mind his own business. And they say, they show up and say, read the word of God to us. They're hungry for God. These guys became what we call seekers. This is where we get the term seekers. But they weren't seeking for the latest fad or spiritual, you know, guru. They were seeking the God who was there. They were seeking the God of their fathers, the God who could save them. And the hunger that they were experiencing is a hunger that comes from God himself. When he calls us back to himself. And that's what we're seeing here give us God. We're hungry for God. And they all showed up. The problem is there's ways. Well, by the way, Jesus said this in Matthew 22, for many are invited, but few are chosen. Why are just a few chosen? Because only a few respond to the hunger. Because here's the problem. We can inhibit or block the God hunger in our lives. When God invites us, when God calls, when God stirs our heart, there's things we can do to like, oh, I don't want to hear that. You know, na 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 you know, just, just don't want to hear it. And there's many things we can do to block it, we, to put up our defensive. And, you know, maybe it's just we don't want to let go of control. We get scared. I'm afraid of what God might ask me to do, call me to do. I don't. I kind of like my old life, and so we resist it. And the Hebrides revival, so back in 1949, there's these islands off the coast of Scotland called the Hebrides, and a revival happened in 1949, and it was amazing. The same kind of thing we see in Asbury. People were just showing up out of nowhere. It was just amazing things were happening. Even sailors who were sailing by the islands had this inexplicable draw to land and go to the epicenter of this thing okay and so it was that happened back then the interesting thing is in the capital city of the hebrides in stornoway it was completely bypassed nothing happened to that city nothing and the only explanation is all the religious leaders the clergy they were against the revival They were scared of it. They thought it was weird, and they didn't do anything. And so it just shut down. Nothing happened in that city. You kind of get what I'm talking about? And so it's not just that sin and our old habits keep us, you know, from God. It's kind of like the Pharisees in Jesus' day. They were blocked from seeing the kingdom of God because they just wanted their control. They wanted to keep their lives as is. And so there's ways we can resist this God hunger. False gods and idols can kill our God hunger. Money, for instance... You know, if I have enough money, I can go buy something tide me over until the hunger passes. Right? Or just the pursuit of money. I might not have any, but I like pursuing it. I got to work harder and, and so that can distract me. You no, know, I got to go make my million whatever. And, you know, alcohol and drugs are obvious. You know, when god hunger comes, I can go get a beer at the pub with my buddies and the feeling'll go away. Or you don't even need others. You can just go meditate out in the wilderness until the feeling goes away. And, or you can use pot. Go to a dispensary. The thing about marijuana is that it leaves you with a sense of this, I'm really wise, and I'm enlightened and connected with God. And you think you are connected with God. Well, you're not connected with anything but yourself. I mean, that's just how it is. But you can't tell someone who's in it that's what's going on. It's a sad And of course, food, what's really ironic is food itself can block us from God hunger. I can try to fill the God hunger with a chocolate donut. Yeah, it's like, you know, I like chocolate donuts and cookies and, you know, it'd take a lot, but I could do it. And, uh, you know, and so we got all these things we can do. But in our story here, the people, they didn't have any of these things. And the idols, they did have weren't getting it done. And there comes a time when all the stuff we've turned to doesn't cut it anymore. And the only thing that'll satisfy the hunger is the God who's called us, the God who created us, the God who's called us back to himself. And that's the only thing that'll satisfy it. And these people were showing up because they were hungry for God. Are you hungry for God? God hunger. But there's more. Look at verses 2 and 3. So on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra, the priest, brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women and all who were able to understand. And he read it aloud from daybreak till noon as he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of men and women and others who could understand. And all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. So along with just a God-hunger, Experiencing God, they were particularly hungry for God's word. When you're hungry for God, you're just not out for just the feeling you want to hear the truth that comes from God Himself. And I want you to get the picture here. Because there's this large open area in front of the water gate in Jerusalem back in those days, and all these people were packed in there. And it wasn't covered, they were exposed to the elements. And there were no lawn chairs or benches. They were standing there. Okay? And typically in that culture, they stood when you read the Word of God. If you were sitting, someone read the Word of God, everybody stands. It was a sign of respect. These people were standing practically all day listening to the Word of God. Man, they were hungry for God's Word. Furthermore, Ezra didn't preach. He just read the word. There was no worship song sets to break up the, you know, they didn't have that. No exciting preaching, no interesting stories, no PowerPoint presentations, no videos, no jokes, no personal references, no testimonies. He just read the Bible. You know, i you know. But that was enough. Romans 10, 17 says, Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word of Christ. That's really all we need. And that's where our faith comes from. It's not fancy or dynamic preaching that changes lives. It's God's word. Simple as that. As long as the hearts that are hearing it are hungry for it. And I have to say, we don't do enough of this. And I think it's because the masses won't tolerate just reading the Bible. I mean, you guys, if I just read the Bible, you're like, yeah, that was nice. But, you know, we need to preach. And, and I, I you know, and it's okay. And, uh and so, you know, we, we do what we can to reach the people to the lost. But I think maybe we need to do a little more of just reading the scripture. Paul instructs Timothy, until I come, devote yourselves to the public reading of the scripture. But and to preaching and teaching. So that's not all wrong. And in our defense, back in the day, they did not have the Bible the way we have it. They they didn't have a Bible. The only Bibles they had were copied. And and those copies were kept in the local synagogue or church. I mean, just that's how they got it. Today, we have Bibles on our phone, and so we read our Bibles at home. So we do have that. And we encourage you to read your Bibles. And so there was teaching going on, however. In verse 7, it says, A number of Levites... And it lists their names. I'm not going to read the names. But these Levites were the priestly clan, and they were regarded as spiritual leaders. And in verse 8, it says they read from the book of the law. And look what it says. Making it clear and giving the meaning so that the people could understand what was being read. That's kind of what we do up here. We give you the word, and we kind of like, all right, this is what it means. This is how you apply it. So there's nothing wrong with that. And and these people were eating it in. What's interesting, is that they were getting more than just the reading. They were getting knowledge from the priests. There was eleven of them listed. And so what it says, what they did is they broke into small groups. Okay, and each of the priests were teaching them in smaller groups. And so like this is one of the first small group movements we have in the Bible, yes. right? So. The teacher-to-student the ratio was smaller. was still pretty large, but it was smaller, and that's what we see here. But it all came out of this hunger for God's Word. And there comes a time we realize, hey, I, I can't just learn it here. I need to become a part of a smaller group where we can ask our questions and get more out of it. And so that's why we do small groups, okay? But it starts with the hunger to learn God's Word. How hungry are you for God's Word? Okay. Another indicator, look at verse 6. Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people lifted their hands and responded, Amen, Amen. And they bowed down and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. When was the last time you bowed down and just, it, to God? When was the last time you've done that? You know, out have just sent the duty, maybe I should do this. But your heart, and so another, a third indicator, indicator of a renovation is taking place is a heartbreaking before God. When you begin to hunger for God, and you hear his word, we experience him, and it, the first thing, especially if you haven't been seeking God for a while, is you, your heart breaks. You become humble. You, you realize how far you've fallen, how far the distance is between me and him. And we experience a heartbreaking, and we live in a culture that abhors being corrected. You don't dare tell anybody something they're doing is wrong. We don't like it. I'm I'm the boss of me, and it's just politically incorrect to say anything. And so our cultural our cultural our culture instinctively attacks anyone or anything that teaches people to say no to themselves. Because that's just not how we do it. It's bad for business. You know? Yeah, and so and the Bible, and, and so God says, no, there's, you know, there's this thing called sin. And we can't live according to our own des- desires. In fact, our men's meeting this morning, we were talking about deceitful desires, how we're corrupted by our deceitful desires. And in our culture, if you don't like what the Bible says, there's so many ways to reinterpret it to fit your lifestyle, and people do. Okay, but here in our story, instead of trying to conform God's will to theirs, they were on their faces before God willing to conform their will to God's will. And in a true God renovation, you are seeing how we're, you're not aligned and you're willing to receive God's correction. And uh, look at verse 9. And Nehemiah, the governor, Ezra, the priest, the scribe, the Levites, who were instructing the people, said to them, This is a day sacred to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep, for all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. These people were weeping. Okay, they were crying. When was the last time I cried before God? I have, and I've done. I could actually tell you. But When was the last time you've wept because of experiencing God in your life? You know, because it, it hits you. Because we get a sense for who he is. And, you know, and I, this is why Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn. Because mourning is a natural process, step of the process to this. It's a heartbreaking. And uh, it, it gets even more interesting. So we're going to flip over to chapter 9 for just a second. Chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. On the 24th day of the same month, the Israelites gathered together, fasting and wearing sackcloth and having dust on their heads. Those Israelites, uh, those of Israelite descent, had separated themselves from all foreigners. They stood in their places and confessed their sins and all the wickedness of their fathers. Man, this is heartbreaking stuff. And it wasn't just superficial. They were going, man, this is where we've messed up and we need to change our lives. So it wasn't just a warm, fuzzy feeling. James describes the same thing in the New Testament. In James chapter 4, he says, Come near to God and he'll come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. We don't preach that very often. We always want to be joyful and happy. And, you know, man, there comes a point where in a God renovation, I mean, think of our actual renovation program on TV. It doesn't start with the finished project. You go in there and look at how those houses are they go into. They are a mess. And all this stuff is wrong. And it keeps getting worse. That's our lives. You have to have that period where you look at what needs to be done. And that's what was going on here. And, uh, and so they were humbled. They were heartbroken. Now, when somehow, way, we get a glimpse of God and we see what's missing, and we begin to experience him, here's an interesting thing. Nothing else will satisfy. And especially if like, if you're dealing with an addiction, and you've been hooked on something, and you experience God, you can never go back to that addiction the same way. You might go back, but it's like eating cardboard. A God experience will ruin your old life. You still can go back to it and try to make it work, but it just just won't cut it anymore. It ruins it for you. It's like eating cardboard, chewing on straw. Remember the old 60s song, Rolling Stones? I can't get no satisfaction. And I try, and I try, and I try. Try Jesus. And once you do, yeah, that's not bad. That's not bad. And we still might go back because we're idiots, but you know, we discover that Jesus is what we need. And then we come to the fourth indicator. And because there's something else that happens in a God renovation. You know, when we humble ourselves for, before God, it's Jesus, you know James says he'll lift us up. There is a lifting up. Verses 10, 11. Nehemiah said, go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks. Send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is sacred to the Lord. Do not grieve for the joy of the Lord is your strength. And the Levites calmed all the people saying, be still, for this is a sacred day. Do not grieve. There comes the point, we lay aside our grief, we lay aside our mo- mo- mourning, and we receive the good news that God still loves us, and by his grace, we are saved and restored. So after a heart breaking, the next indicator of our God renovation is a heart filling. See, God doesn't want us to get stuck in shame and guilt, Okay. It's not God's desire that we're mired in self-loathing and self-accusation and self-incrimination. And some people think that's what religion is all about. And for some religions, it is. But not for us. Our faith is about the gospel. The good news of what Jesus came to do for us on the cross. He died on the cross so that all that bad stuff is wiped away. Without us doing a single thing, all we do is receive it by faith. And the resurrection tells us that there's a renovation. He can change us. He can make us into new people. He can change the desires of our heart and the thinking in our heads. When we humble ourselves and ask him in, he can make those changes. Not overnight, but he, it's a renovation. It happens. And uh, our broken hearts need to be mended. And filled with God's joy. And that is the gospel. The word gospel means good news. That's what that means. And so, a rescue boat is coming. But here's the thing. The rescue boat isn't good news if you think the boat you're currently in isn't sinking. But when the water gets up to here, the rescue boat, that's good news. Very joyous. And so, where are you at? you think your boat's floating? <laughs> okay. But when you realize Jesus is the rescue, when I was younger, I did some rock climbing. Have any of you ever rock climbed? It's kind of, I, it, I can't do it anymore. I'd die. And, uh, but, you know, I just enjoyed. And in rock climbing, they have something called a thank God hold. And a thank God hold is when you're kind of in a position on the rock face, and you're just kind of precarious. You're, you're, you can't go down... You got to go up. There's no place to go. You're you're getting tired. And so you just sort of reach up, hoping there's something to grab onto. And And so you do that, and there's something to grab onto. And you go, thank God. That's why it's called a thank God. Jesus is our thank God hold. It's the good news. And these people were empty. They're heartbroken. And they're reaching out to the God who's there. And when they reached out, they got hold of God. And they said, thank God. Don't grieve. Rejoice. Celebrate. Let him fill your heart. And that's part of a God renovation. And we're filled with joy. And that's what the Christian faith is all about. Paul says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And he is our thank God hold. If you reach out to anything else, by the way, yeah. That's not going to work out too well for you. And so it's important to realize that a true renovation, this renovation is not just a warm, fuzzy feeling as we have a God experience. It's a changed life. It's a changed way of thinking, a changed way of feeling, of desiring. And it obviously results in a changed way of living our lives because now we are living as sons and daughters Of God. And it really doesn't matter what's going on around us. The economy could be all a mess, and my neighbor could be irritating, and the driver in front of me be a crazy person, and my kids could be driving me nuts, and my spouse could be just like out in left field. And it doesn't matter because I've got God. And that's what a true renovation is all about. So I'll just close with a question for the whole series Are you really up? for a God renovation, because this is serious business. And as I go through this and ask myself, what do I really want in this life? What do I want more than anything else? Do I really want this? (sighs) Can I be content with the way I am right this second? Or am I willing to let the God who's my father come in and change me into the being, the creature he wants me to be. And my question is you is what do you want? That's the question you have to ask. Are you willing, ready for God to do a renovation in your life? Amen. Let's all be standing. Father, only you can change our hearts. Only you can help us grow only you can help us be different, new. Only you can save us. But Father, it starts with something that happens in our hearts where we seek it, want it, our willingness. And just, I just ask that you help everyone here to get that hunger, get that willingness, that desire for something greater that cannot be experienced in this world. And so stir our hearts, make us hungry for you, and may you truly do a renovation revival in our lives and in this church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.